this time of year as we look uh, to celebrate Christmas, one of the themes that we're just inundated with is this idea of your life can be changed. Whether it's through songs or whether it's through movies, uh, plays like Scrooge, movies like Elf. It's a good one, maybe the best one, right? That, that the theme is that somebody can go from, you know, this horrible person into this magical Christmas cheer and all of a sudden they turn into a good person, right? We're just inundated with this. Well, I want to warn you this morning. This morning, I am coming after your heart. This morning, this message from John, that the goal, the goal is to, to see something so glorious, to see something so majestic, that you just might leave here changed. As Spate said a minute ago, I think it was Spate, what you might expect this morning, as, we're, as this is the Sunday before Christmas, is you might expect us to go back to Matthew. You might expect us to, to look at the truths and the, the wonderful beginnings of Christ's birth with Mary and Joseph. Many would expect that we would go to Luke, Luke chapter 2. Or Luke chapter 1, and there's just this, Luke has all this writing about the beginning of our Savior's life on earth. But today, today, I want us to consider what might be the most profound words ever written. There is a depth here. There's a depth here in this text that goes beyond what we could ever even imagine. There is so much in this text that Spate read this morning that it moves us beyond any form of nostalgia or any form of cheer that we might be caught up in in this time of year. It moves us to something that is so deep and is so true that we will never comprehend the depths of it. And it is good, it is good for us to consider this this morning. If we really, truly get to a place where we begin to understand this text this morning, it will change how you sing. Some of you may begin singing. change the way you think. It'll change the way you love. It'll change the way you cherish. And if you know me and if you've been around here for a while, you might know what's coming next. During this season, I love to challenge us, challenge us that the deep truths of the gospel message means that we should be a people as Christians who celebrate like no one else. And if we begin to see and understand the truth of this text, it'll do that in our life. We will celebrate like no one 
else. And even if, even if you come in here this morning and life's been hard, life's been difficult, that you have massive things going on in your heart and in your soul or maybe in your family this morning, even if that is you, my prayer is that if you understand what's going on in this text, that it can take you to a place of celebration and great joy. Every word, every word of John 1.1, every phrase of John 1.1 has been dissected, 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 has been written about, books have been written, articles have been written, dissertations have been written, there is so much here. This, this thing has been pulled apart and looked at for so long. And there is a deep, deep dive that we could go. And we're not doing that this morning. But, but we have to go deep enough for you to see the glory in this text. For many of you, this text is familiar. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you've been in church, if you've been around you know that when it says the word, that, that this word in the original language is logos. And we know that when it says the word, that it's referring to Jesus. But this phrase, this word logos, has just this dynamic meaning that is so deep. When John penned this, when he was penning this to the people that would read it during his day and age, to the Greek, this word logos had meaning. It was embedded in their philosophy of the day. There was thought already put around this whole idea of the word. <laughs> the logos. It referred to thought or to expression or to meaning. There were studies that had been done about this philosophical concept. And it was the same way with the, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrews as well. That this whole idea of logos, of word, that there had been these philosophical systems that had been put and placed around that. And even today, even today, there are still people, psychologists, philosophers, thinkers, that have in mind that study this idea of logos, of word, and what it means. And if you needed a nap, we would spend the rest of our time talking about that. But what I want you to see is that John carefully picks out this phrase, the word, the logos, because it was embedded with such meaning and John intentionally picks this word because he wants his readers' minds to begin to be blown. He wants to start big. The word. The word. The logos. That Jesus is this very word. That Jesus is the essence, the expression of God Himself. The thought of God Himself. That Jesus somehow is this. And this is too deep and too profound for us to even know. And as John is beginning his gospel, 
he says, in the beginning was the Word. And that phrase, in the beginning, should hearken its readers back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. And the idea is that Jesus, Jesus was around in the beginning. That Jesus existed before time existed. That Jesus existed before the world began. That Christ, the Word, was there. There wasn't a time in history when Christ was not. And we also get this phrase, not only was in the beginning was the Word, but it says that the Word was with God. And there's, there's two deep meanings involved in this phrase as well, at least two. One is that the whole idea that He was with God means that He is distinct from God, that He is other. But that is not all that is, that is meant by this phrase. You see, the thrust of this text is not just that He was with God beside Him in some way or hanging out with Him, but this whole idea of this phrase denotes intimacy. That in the beginning, the Word was to or towards God. That there was this deep relationship. There was intimacy. There was connect, connection there. There was fellowship. There was closeness. There was relationship. There was no need. There was perfect unity. If this isn't enough to begin to blow your mind, John tells us that the Word was God. Not a God, but that Jesus is God. Here is where your brain starts spinning if you really start thinking. It's just inconceivable. Separate, yet God... It means that Jesus in Himself is fully divine. Any thoughts we have about who God is or the definition of what God is, Jesus fits. Holy other. Separate. Holy. Divine. This is who Jesus is. He embodies all of that. Yet, He is separate. It's texts like this where we derive the doctrines of the Trinity. And the doctrine of the Trinity is so deep and so profound that we can't even understand the beauty and the majesty of it. And we do silly things like talk about eggs and water to try to explain it. And it all falls short. It's too deep. It's too amazing. You see, the more we dig in and we think about this text and we think about who Jesus is, the more that our minds just explode with glory and amazement, sometimes confusion, because it's beyond us. 
that we know when we start thinking about John 1.1 1, 1, and when we start thinking about who Jesus really is, we know we are in waters that are too deep for us to be able to fully discover. And John is inviting us in to consider this glory. John is inviting us in for our minds just to expand and to explode. The next four verses in this text just kind of reiterate what we have already seen. And I just want to briefly go over those. In verse 2 it says, He was in the beginning with God. And get this, all things came into being through Him. All things came into being through Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. This is who Jesus is in the Godhead. That all things are created through Him. Nothing that exists, nothing that exists, exists apart from Him. And in Him was life. This is not just meaning that he just created something and kind of brought it to life. But there's this deep, deep meaning here of this whole essence of what it means to be alive is derived from Jesus. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it. That not only was he life and in him is the life, but he's also the light. He's also the light. And we all know what light does. It's contrasted with darkness. You can have you can be in the darkest cave where there is absolutely no natural light and you can. Flick a match and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the dark is pushed back. We are able to see that the Logos, Jesus, the Word, is the light. He is truth. He is the way. And you may be asking this morning, what in the world does all this have to do with Christmas? You haven't even mentioned sheep, shepherds, wise men. It's not why we came here this morning. Hang in there. Hang in there. Stay with me. Stay with me. If time permitted, we could go to the Old Testament and we could look at this concept of Logos, the Word, and we would see things, some of the things like we've already covered, like this whole idea of the, the Word being the agent of creation, that through Word, through God's Word, things are created. We would also see that over and over again, this same concept, this same idea of the word that it, the word came to people, came to human beings. And there was prophecy. There was truth. There was hope. There was deliverance. There was blessing. All through the word. So here's the Christmas message. Look at verse 14. And I want it to hit you this morning. The way that God wants this to hit you this morning. 
This divinely inspired word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is so amazing. This is such an amazing concept. That Muslims hate it. And they don't hate it because they hate Jesus. They actually have an affinity for Jesus as a prophet. But they hate it because their idea of divinity is so grand and is so big and is so massive that they don't even have a concept in their mind or in their philosophy that the word could become flesh. And brothers and sisters, praise be to God that the word became flesh. The word, Jesus, took on flesh. The very expression of who God is, the very reason that exists in God, the very wisdom of God. It is God became flesh and dwelt among us. I love this verse. It became flesh and dwelt among us. The word here for dwelt among us means to tabernacle. And this should push us into some of this Old Testament imagery of the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle, that God came and His glory was in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. And a cloud was around it because we couldn't face the glory because it was so great. And that men that went into the tabernacle and men who went into the presence of God in the tabernacle, that it is said that at times they came out and their face shone with brightness. Because you couldn't be in the presence and the glory of God and not be changed. And this glory became flesh and tabernacled with us. The writer of the book of Hebrews, as he opens his letter, tells us this. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. This word, this glory has become flesh. And there is nothing deeper or more wonderful or higher that can be said. And it is amazing. It is amazing that God came to this earth and has dwelt among us. Look at verse 10. Such a tragic reality. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. What a tragedy. 
that the Creator of the world becomes flesh and dwelt among us, and the world did not know Him. And we know why if you've been in church, right? Because sin has marred everything. Sin has messed up everything. Sin is so bad that it separates us from God. And in this separation from God, that His very Son, Jesus Christ, can come to the earth in full glory and in full radiance, and we do not recognize Him. Isn't this what was going on last week as we looked at Herod? That he heard that the baby was born? God had become flesh. And what is the immediate response? The creator of the universe, his parents had to take him and run because he was in danger of being killed when he was yet a toddler. As we've been going through the book of Mark, we ended right before the triumphant entry. And we know the story. The same people who were going to line the streets and proclaim Hosanna, 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 would be the same people later that are going to say, crucify, crucify, crucify. As we've been going through the book of Mark, we've learned some things about how people understand and look at this word, look at this Savior, God in the flesh. Instead of seeing Him as God, they see Him as a miracle worker. They see Him as a miracle worker instead of the God over sickness. The God who reigns over death. The God who reigns over demonic powers. He's just a miracle worker. Instead of seeing Him as God, they see Him as a prophet. And they miss the whole idea that he's not a prophet. He's the fulfillment of all prophecies. They see him as a teacher. What a slanderous thought. That the creator of the universe is looked at as a teacher. Oh, we have missed who this Jesus is. He came so that we could see Him. So that we could behold His glory. And unfortunately, unfortunately, we've missed it. But, but, look at verse 11. He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. But, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. Get this. And if we were to look at the whole Gospel of John, this would become crystal clear that one of the reasons that Christ came in the flesh, God incarnate in the flesh, was so that He could live and die. So that he could live and die. So that he could live and die. He could take on your sins. He had to be human. He had to come in the flesh. So that he could take on your sins. 
And so that at the cross, as Christ is killed, that there's a transference that's happening. He lived a perfect life. He is God. And at that moment, if we would believe, the Gospel tells us He takes on our sins and we are given His righteousness. And what we learn in verse 12 is that if we would believe that this is who this Christ is, that we would become part of the family of God. that We are reconciled to God Himself. He died so that we could live. Ephesians 2 tells us what we couldn't do. What we couldn't do. That God did by sending His Son in the flesh. And all we have to do is believe. At the end of this Gospel, we're told that John is writing this Gospel so that you might believe. In verse 12, we're given this theme as well. Will you believe? Do you this morning see and believe what God has done? Some of you have seen. Some of you have believed. But you're struggling. Many of you I know are overwhelmed. Words like unfair, trying really hard, fix, do, better, change, blaming other people for what's going on in your life, blaming other people and sometimes even God himself for the disturbances that are going on and the frustrations that you're going through. One of the things when I'm counseling people, one of the things that needs to happen is that sometimes I just stop things and tell somebody, can you just breathe? And there's something actually really lethargic about just sitting and just breathing. Brothers and sisters, when you realize the truth of the gospel... When you're all bound up in this doing and this fixing and this changing and this trying to please and this trying to work your way towards certain things. When you understand the truth of the gospel message of what God has done for you. And not only has he saved you, but that he is keeping you and that he will he will help you and aid you in getting you on through life. What we need to do when we understand this gospel message is just exhale. And just trust. And just see how good and big that God is. And many of us are so busy in our striving, in our doing, in our working, that we miss the reality of this gospel message of what God is doing in us. Our life. Look at verse 14. 
the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And again, this verse, at the beginning of this verse, there's allusions to the Old Testament. And at the end and middle of this verse, there are allusions to the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 34, where these interactions between Moses and God, this is the imagery that comes forward of beholding the glory of God. And then what we get in Exodus 34 are also this, this, this combination of words, grace and truth, runs throughout all the Old Testament. And when God is seen and when God is heard, these words are there. In the Old Testament, these words are translated just a little different of steadfast love and faithfulness, but it's the same concept. And so what I want you to see, and what I think John wants you to see, by alluding to the Old Testament, is to think about things like, think about Moses. Think about Moses' path in life. Moses wasn't perfect. Moses often doubted. Moses oftentimes got frustrated. Moses oftentimes got in front of himself. Moses oftentimes found himself striving and working. But when Moses went into the presence of God, he changed. His appearance changed. He was filled with the glory of God. His vision became singular. His mission became straight. And he was filled. He was filled with who this God is. His steadfast love. And his faithfulness. How your Christmas season could be changed if you would just see him. The power of seeing the beauty, the glory, and the goodness of God. And we see that when we consider Jesus. The Word. The Lagos. The Word became flesh to live and to die so that we could live. The Word became flesh so that we could see, so that we could know so that we could believe and believing in him that we could have life. We could have life here and life everlasting. Are you weary? Are you troubled? Are you blah? This won't surprise any of you. I love Christmas. One of the reasons I love Christmas is because of food. There are things that, that, that enter into the kitchen or around where I am that it's only this time of year that it appears. And I love indulging this food. And there's only one problem when some of my favorite things show up. And the only problem is that I don't have the restraint to stop. And I'm not talking about waistline here. What I'm talking about is literally in the moment. I can so indulge myself, particularly on sugar, that I get sick. I'm just like, oh, 
that fifth piece was just the one that pushed me over the edge. You see, we're wired to see, to taste, to take in, and enjoy. And I want you to hear really, really good news. The really good news is that you can indulge on Jesus and you'll never get sick. I'm not meaning you won't physically ever get sick. What I'm meaning is the indulging itself won't make you sick. In fact, this is what we are called to do. We are called to see. We are called to savor. We are called to take in. We're called to consider Jesus. We're called to consider the glory of God. And we are called to consume this. And the only thing that will happen if you overindulge is that it will go out of you onto other people. We were made. We were made for this. What would happen? What would happen if we became a people that were hungry Hungry for the glory of God. It would drive us to consider Christ. It would drive us to pray to have more of Christ. It would drive us to want to become more like Christ. This will shock you. But I have a confession to make. And that is is that your pastor is not perfect. I know. I have a vote right after this, right? And even this last week, there's just been a lot of stuff going on. A lot of need. And at times, I get overwhelmed. One of the things that overwhelms me is that I want to see your family get better. I want to see the marriage get better. I want to see the wayward child come home. I want to see you find a new job. And as I was preparing, we had an elders meeting this week and I was probably in the midst of a, I don't even know what to call it, just a, wanting all these things to happen. And it was my turn to do devotion for the elders. And literally, I just started reading books of the Bible. What can I say? And God just... I was started reading in Ephesians and God just overwhelmed me with something. Listen to Paul as he prays in chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. So here's this idea of seeing the glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love would be may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and amen. And what I want you to know is where I had to repent is that for some of you, I was more concerned about your relationships, your jobs, your money than I was for you seeing the glory of God and being filled, being filled. With his holiness, with the knowledge of his love, and his power. Don't get me wrong. I still want those other things for you. But where I had to repent, is I was missing the main thing. So, can I pray for you? And for us this morning, let's pray. God, I pray this morning that your people in this flock, your people in this church would be filled with the wonder and the glory of who you are that is seen as we consider Christ. That we may know the depth and the breadth of your love. Your steadfastness, your faithfulness. God, that we may see your glory in the face of your son this season. So that whatever circumstances that we're in. However it is that we walked into this building or that we turned on the YouTube channel, that God this morning, even this morning, your glory, your love, your goodness might overwhelm us. So that our vision, our vision is not set only on the earthly circumstances around us, but that our vision becomes upward. That we begin to consider and to bask in the depth of the reality that your son became flesh and dwelt among us. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. To you, to you and only you, all glory is due. And this prayer can only be prayed through this son. Who is God himself. In his name. Jesus name. Amen.